It's The World This Week. The World This Week in partnership with The Daily Beast. We are in the company of Vivian Walt, Paris correspondent for Time magazine. How are you? Not a bad week. Not a bad week. Okay, was it not a bad week for Richard Valli? France correspondent uh, for the Swiss publication Blick. I'm sure you have in mind the visit uh, of Emmanuel Macron in Switzerland this week. All right, that's a that's a little teaser of what's I to come there. in this edition. I was there. You were in Bern, okay. Uh, Bern, where it's all happening. Aisha Gulsert, independent journalist, is with us as well. How was your week? I was in Paris. No Switzerland Sorry, for you? No. Okay. Columnist and uh, communications consultant Philippe Moreau-Chevrolet is Hi. with us as well. I'm a bit disgruntled, but... Uh... Uh, then I'm French, so we are always a little bit disgruntled. Okay. But I, I'm even more disgruntled. You don't get to go to Switzerland all the time. No, and uh, we would rather have a French president in our streets. Even walking in the streets would be good. All right. Uh, you can listen, like, and subscribe to The World This Week on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other fine streaming services. For Israelis, it's a long-eyed target. For Palestinians, a symbol of their suffering. After days of laying siege to Al-Shifa Hospital... Israeli soldiers moving in Tuesday overnight, this after years of claiming that Hamas had operated a command center on the grounds of Gaza's largest uh, medical uh, center. Uh, Vivian Waltz, this was billed as one of these seminal moments. We're approaching the six-week anniversary of when Hamas uh, uh, attacked uh, Israel. Indeed. I mean, it's six weeks tomorrow. And, you know, if you think I how in in some ways how much has changed and in another way like nothing has changed almost no hostages are out the israelis are still facing the same kind of conundrum as they did when they first launched this war um which is that they cannot be seen to be kind of risking the lives of all the hostages and yet it's extremely difficult to see where they go from here without risking the lives of many of those hostages. I, I think something has changed dramatically on, on the side of the Palestinians. I mean, every single day we are at, what, 12,000 people who have died. I mean, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. and... and, and uh, you know, it's it's very interesting. It, what has changed also is the public perception of what's going on. While at the beginning of the of the Hamas attack, it was very much we were all we meaning the 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 world uh, public was very much on the side of the Israelis. And now we are talking about the words like genocide, like international crime. So yes, that has changed as well. Yeah, there definitely is this feeling that. Uh uh, that Israel has to now work harder to get its story out. The military putting out a six-minute uh, video in English on Thursday. This less than 24 hours into that operation at Al-Shifa. Yehudit, may her soul rest in peace, was recovered by our forces. The 7th Brigade, which was scanning the area near to the Al-Shifa hospital, recovered her body in one of the homes during that search. Near her body was found the bodies of terrorists who were holding her. There was a clip showing uh, where you, you see one of their, the Israeli spokespersons uh, in, inside the hospital showing Kalashnikovs going to... Uh, and basically there's been skepticism over what Israel's found. There hasn't been a gotcha moment yet and people want in real time for there to be results. The problem is the attack by Hamas lasted one day and then it was over and uh, the 
the attention, the world's attention, moved <coughs> to what Israel was doing, which is all very logical. Then Israel has a communication war to fight, uh, not only a f common war, it's a communication war. And we are in, a, on, in the middle of a communication war at a scale that we have never seen before. This is unprecedented. Everything is live, basically. Everything is shown to the public in like real time. The strategies are being discussed in real time. And we, we see on Twitter X now, uh, on Facebook, on Instagram, on TikTok, an information world that is really violent. I mean, we, 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 we saw recently... That's from day one we saw that it was... Yes, but the, the, fight is, the fact is there is a fight to be fought by both parties. Uh, the Hamas on one side, not the Palestinians, the Hamas, and uh, Israel on the other side. So when the Israeli military comes in and shows... But if they don't it, fight it, the fight, they will lose, it, and basically, as has been said. Sorry. Right. Yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah, yeah, no, sure. Uh, but, you know, they, they show, like, uh, you, you, you saw those videos, uh, Richard Verli. I saw the video, uh, but contrary to what Philippe was saying, I do not feel uh, we have a live news, live coverage of this war. No, we don't. These, the, the image that we are seeing are images taken by the Israeli forces, probably edited, I mean, surely edited by the Israeli forces. And whenever they take on board international journalists, what I've read, journalists say that they were taken for just an hour and unable to see anything else that other places. So, so I don't think it's very different from what we had in Ukraine, where mm. we really had the feeling that we were there and we could see what is happening. Now, after six weeks, what strikes me is that... Uh, Israel, despite its strength, despite uh, the, the number of soldiers it is sending in, has not reached its goal yet. It's, it's impossible to claim victory when there are so many civilians well, dead. I, I, no, but but, but to, me, to me, the goal that Israeli have, have proclaimed, which is to eradicate Hamas, at this precise point, I don't see how it is possible. Yeah, but that's the problem. How do you deal with Hamas? And that's the thing that nobody talks about. If there is peace talks, there are peace talks. Israeli. Then why did they say we that they're going to, to eradicate to Hamas? The problem of Hamas. But that, that's what they say. Netanyahu promised, Sorry, Netanyahu promised that the Israeli army will eradicate Hamas. Now, my question, and it's only a question, is I don't see Israeli in position to achieve this goal. Vivian Wall. It seems clear to me, um, you know, after the last month, that the Israelis are in some ways you know, basically fighting a kind of self-defeating battle. Um, Hamas wanted them to overreact and they're doing sure. it. The, the entity called Hamas, yes, might be destroyed um, along with much of Gaza City. But what do you have in, in, in its place? You have an entire generation of radicalized Palestinians in Gaza. I cannot see any way that they come out of this with any feelings of wanting... To make peace with Israel. Because let's talk about the latest. It's on to the next objective. Uh, with many parts of northern Gaza laid to waste, uh, there are images from, we did have a team embedded, by the way, Richard Valdi, with Israel's military. These okay. are their images. On, on Thursday, uh, the images were checked but not censored. Um, uh, Israel now uh, dropping leaflets telling Palestinians to evacuate spore, four specific neighborhoods of Han Yunus. That's south of the evacuation line. We came here after Jews told us to head south and that the south is safe. Today, in their leaflets, they're telling us to evacuate the south, 
which means that there is no safe place today. I should go, sir. Yeah, the the uh, the, the now that it was the north, and now it's going to be not just the north. Look, what the humanitarians have been saying for weeks in Gaza, or who know well Gaza, is that there is no place safe in Gaza, whether you go to the north or the south. What's going on? What has been going on now for for six weeks uh, is actually, uh, you know, you put the word that you want to put, but there is zero humanitarian humanizing uh, aspect to it. I completely agree with Richard Verli in the sense of it really reminds me of Iraq in 2003, you know, with the embedded journalists, which means that international journalists were not allowed to go in. I remember very well because I was in Turkey at the time. And the ones who could go usually were the ones who were embedded with the Americans, which means that you're allowed to see only one side of it. And plus, I must say, that no matter how much pressure there is on the fact on on a journal, Palestinian journalists who are in Gaza, the work that they have been doing in the past weeks is extremely courageous. And um, because even if they're under shelling and they're losing members of their families and whole neighborhoods, they continue to do their jobs. While we in the West are saying, we keep trying to say, yes, but there's this side who is wrong, but there's also that side who might be. We try to do a balancing, balancing act at a war that is completely unbalanced. But should well, we, actually, should we I mean, take side? I mean, should we take side? No. I'm not talking about the West. I don't think the West exists. I think the situation is much more complicated. Which India, we're about, to, we're about India, to discuss in a minute. India is actually supporting <coughs> Israel. Not, what I, didn't, I think I didn't make it clear, sorry. I didn't mean we should take a side. What I'm trying to say is that it's as if in the, when we talk about what's going on, what has been going on, it's as if we, we owe ourselves to... To keep bringing, you know, yes, Hamas is a terrorist organization, but, you know, also there are Palestinians who are dying. You, you see what I mean? You can be non-partisan, yes, non but it's as if we are apologizing for basic, basically, we have been apologizing as journalists for trying to show what has been going on on the field. I mean, I listen to France Inter, which is the number one radio uh, in, uh, in France. And I mean, we are talking about can humor go too far? Um, you know, things like this while people are losing, losing their lives. We're intellectualizing something where the humanism at its worst. Yeah, that's what I mean. That's because the situation is authentically complex. It's but, always complex, Philippe. Yes, but that's, it's always, you, you, know, tried, the word you can't complex say that the Palestinians is, you know, are the Hamas. That's not true. That's basically not true. Palestinians are not. I mean, you well, have a president, you were talking about a French president, babies. you know, we're talking about yeah, when we opened up, you said, you know, you, I, 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 that's what I understood. You alluded to the fact that he should have been at the anti-Semitism. Yes, that's on, what on I mean. We are talking say, about the small things. He said two things. He said two things. He said peace in Gaza should be the priority and the bombings must stop. He said that. So I think it was legitimate for him to walk in the streets to say that on the other side, we shouldn't blame anyone for yeah, the situation. Yeah, Emmanuel Macron, who did not attend That's that. That's a balanced position. His uh, position well, is not We're going balanced. to talk about Emmanuel Macron in a minute, who did not attend last week's um, mm -hmm. uh, march against uh, anti-Semitism here in Paris. Uh, just a final word about what's going on on the ground. The last 24 hours, Israel has netted the bodies of two hostages, a 65-year-old woman and a 19-year-old female soldier. A reminder, there's still more than 200 believed to be held. The Daily Beast reporting that 9-year-old Emily Hand is marking her ninth birthday in captivity this Friday. The Irish-Israeli described as a Beyonce fan abducted 
uh, during a sleepover at a friend's house uh, in a kibbutz on, on October uh, the 7th. And it, that, it brings me back to what Aisha Ghul was saying. You know, you, we, we as journalists try to tell personal tales, and there is a very personal tale for you, uh, Vivian Walt. And we do worry about equivocation and being able to tell I mean, personal tales on the Palestinian side. Absolutely horrendous personal tales have come from the side of Israel because that is the side in which we've had most access. I have to say, I mean, I was in Baghdad in 2003 um, during the fall of of uh, Saddam, and um, the kind of access we had there was way more. Yeah, but in how long? Uh, how long? We're talking about six weeks. You're not talking about the first six weeks of the Iraq War in 2003. Yes, I am. I'm talking about the the fact the embedded, the idea of having journalists who are embedded with the American or Israeli army. That's what I'm talking about. Okay, so um, that's a whole other discussion. Well, that there was tremendous advantages sometimes to being embedded because you had a front row seat, of course, in the military, but. Um, but even on the other side, we had way more access to Saddam, Ba'athist people in the neighborhoods of Baghdad than we ever, ever have have in these six weeks yeah, in, in Gaza. Yeah, where there have been no foreign um, journalists uh, It's also been in. about the deadliest month for journalists. I mean, I think more journalists have lost their lives in the last six weeks than have lost their lives anywhere I, than I, that I can remember in, in a six-week period. Keep, keep in mind that journalists have even been targeted. Mm -hmm. I mean, Reporters Sans Frontières, the organization based in France, Reporters Without Borders, uh, brought elements of information to the International Criminal Court in The Hague in order potentially to open an investigation on, you know, different case of journalists being killed either by shelling or by uh, shootings. So okay. it's it's a problem. I, I don't know what I the mean, ICC the will that, decide, but still. The thing that Richard said before about, you know, Israel just not seeming to um, be moving towards its strategic ob objective, whatever that might be, um, you know, we haven't seen any Hamas commanders captured. Very no, they, they live in Qatar. I mean, um, they don't. They are not with the Gazan yeah, population. Exactly. They live in Where Qatar. are they? Mm. They're not um, there, obviously. No, no. The military commanders. The problem is, the, I there. think we should move from a logic which is a war logic to a, a logic of justice. I think that's the good solution. But we must keep in mind the question of the justice after October seventh, which was the huge, the bigger massacre of. Jewish civilians since 1945. Yeah, but if that was not my that, that was not my account, point at right. all. Yeah, we need to be balanced. No, but my my the point was only we are never balanced in what we say. Uh, I, Either we defend one side or the other side. No, but there is never a complete vision no, I, I, of the problem. I, I, oh, sorry, I disagree. I was just saying that after six weeks, after six weeks, yeah. it doesn't seem to me that Israel and the Israeli army is in position to achieve its goals. That's it. That was my only comment. It's giving uh, credence to a lot of political theater that's taking place uh, and uh, a, a lot of uh, divisions. We've been talking about it these past six weeks on this very show. And talk about competing narratives. Germany this Friday welcoming Turkey's president. Now, this was a long-planned state visit, one that uh, shows or illustrates those opposing viewpoints on what's going on in the Middle East. It's a country which respects human rights and international law and acts in accordance. 
And that's why the accusations made against Israel are absurd. I say it openly and with a clear conscience. Israel is a terrorist state. Okay, those were remarks he made before he traveled to Berlin. Recep Tayyip Erdogan, who in the last minutes uh, said he's, quote, leading the fight against anti-Semitism. I should go search. The only fight he's really fighting is 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 pro-Islamism. I think um, no, this is it was important that it has that it happened. We should think about the fact that Germany has what over three million um, um, citizens, citizens of, who are of, of Turkish, of Turkish or, or origin um, since two, 2020. Uh, it, it's the first time they are meeting. Um, I think what they are really there to do, both of them, is actually for Turkey to ask more money for the migrant deal that was assigned. It's um, it's interesting that the quote you mentioned because Erdogan is a man who who keeps call, you know talking about Europe being fascist, sorry Nazi he says, and Merkel being a fascist, you know things like that. So coming from his mouth, being the one who actually, if there is something called you know, doing a genocide is towards the Armenians and the Kurds that he's been pushing and he has not had the shoulders to accept it. It's whatever. So this is just a, what, what really strikes me is that last month uh, there was a, the Frankfurt Book Fair, which is one of the biggest, you know, biggest events in, in, in literature. And there was going to be a ceremony, an award ceremony given that was going to be given to a Palestinian author. It was canceled because of the of the current um, atmosphere and the war. There has been a lot of human rights activists who've been calling for this uh, meeting between Erdogan and Schulz to be uh, canceled, and it has not been done so. Although we are in the same sphere, so it shows. But what that you're actually, saying is, it's better that they that they speak than that they not speak. Because Erdogan would have used it to his own advantage, saying, "See, the West, I tell the truth. I talk about the Palestinians. I talk about the dead bodies, and the Ger and the Germans and the Europeans don't want to see that." He would have used it to his ad advantage. Vivian Wall. I mean, this is. <laughs> Such a complicated issue. And by the way, we haven't even spoken about Turkey's role in Ukraine. Um, another true. issue that's absolutely critical. Because here in the limelight, there's Turkey, but there's also Germany in this situation. Exactly. And right. Germany is um, the country that's most staunchly at the table, arguably along with uh, the likes of maybe uh, Hungary and, uh, and a few others who are defending Israel. Uh, and, and, and unwilling to, to use the C word, ceasefire. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And it's a word that, by the way, President Macron has used in recent days. Yes. Um, so um, it seems to me that, like, you know, obviously Chancellor Schultz must have, like, really regretted this invitation that he extended, you know, six months ago. Um, he could not have predicted the moment that they'd be in. Mm. Um, I mean, what was interesting to me was that they, despite all of that, um, they did manage to control this visit very tightly. I mean, there was no, um, there were no signs of it being a state visit. There was no like joint appearances or the press conference or the usual, you know, pomp and ceremony that. Well, they they have been speaking in the last minute. So. Oh, they have okay. in the last minute. Forgive me. So. Um, 
And, and, and on this point, you talked about uh, uh, positions that have uh, sort of changed over, over six weeks. Uh, we're seeing that it's heating. We've talked about Gaza. It's also, by the way, heating up in the West Bank. Five killed overnight in a refugee camp in the flashpoint city of Janine. Uh, this Friday, we saw the funerals for three Hamas militants killed in a shootout at an Israeli army uh, checkpoint uh, uh, near Hebron. One soldier killed. Uh, that was on Thursday when France's foreign ministry strongly uh, denounced, uh, put it out as a statement, denouncing violence by Jewish settlers uh, who've stepped up attacks aimed at uh, kicking Palestinians uh, off their lands uh, since October the 7th. Violence which has the clear objective of forced displacement of the Palestinians and a policy of terror uh, is something condemned, uh, says the French uh, foreign ministry. Uh, the increasingly strong statements out of Paris well, not strong enough for university students in Switzerland. <laughs> That's uh, where France's president uh, uh, gave a speech uh, this week as part of a state visit. A ceasefire in Gaza, Mr. Macron. A ceasefire in Gaza. We're counting on you. We can't do it alone. But it's clear. And later the French president insisted that uh, his position has been consistent from the start. We've never wavered. It may not please some people, or it may not please others, but that will be France's position. It has been from the start, and it will remain so. Richard Verdi, has Emmanuel Macron's position never wavered? No, it has waved. I was there in Switzerland at both events. I mean, the, the three events that you showed when he arrived in Bern, when he gave the press conference, and then in the University of Lausanne. Uh, the Macron that we are listening today is very different from the one who was speaking few days ago. Now I think he has a good script. Mm. He has found a good script. He is able to explain why he has called for a ceasefire and, and he explained it by the French historical position and so on and so forth. I don't want to comment on that. But the reality is that when he spoke about ceasefire earlier, he spoke about it too early without thinking of the consequence, without consulting his European partners. So he's giving clearly the lesson that should not be done in such a context. If you want, if you consider that European unity is necessary, and I believe in such a difficult moment it is necessary, you don't act like Macron did. But clearly, and that brings us back to Scholz, there is now an open, wide problem between Emmanuel Macron and Olaf Scholz. They don't speak the same language, they don't have the same timing, they don't have the same priority. How long will this last? And what did neutral Switzerland have to say about this divide? Well, on that case of, uh, of Hamas-Israel conflict, first of all, uh, Switzerland made a change at the very beginning. Now Hamas is considered a terrorist organization, which was not the case before the conflict. Mm. And secondly, uh, Switzerland reiterates always the necessity for international law and humanitarian exactly. law, especially as it is hosting the International Community, Community of the Red Cross. By the way, not calling Hamas a terrorist group was something necessary for the ICRC to access Hamas, but obviously the political conditions have changed since the assault of the 7th October. And we saw earlier in the week, Philippe Morochevrolet, uh, a diplomatic cable that was leaked uh, uh, to newspaper Le Figaro, uh, French, sitting French ambassadors uh, saying, they, well, I'll paraphrase here, I'll give you the short version, that Emmanuel Macron shoots from the hip too much and uh, uh, that it's uh, uh, making their jobs very difficult. 
Yes, because he's talking uh, um, like he, in the instant. He, he always thinks, Macron, his core belief is that if you talk with people, you will solve problems. The problem is that uh, each person he has uh, has a different uh, take from him. He will change his speech radically from one person to the other. And in a crisis like this, we all focus our attention on what the heads of state are saying. So each one of his declarations will be taken over by the press. And he doesn't understand that it has consequences because he wants to please, he wants to be in the middle of things. And he thinks that he's, uh, when he speaks, real, the reality changes, which is not the case. And it provokes a lot of trouble for the diplomats, which are really, uh, you have to understand that he, he has made like a, a puzzle with the uh, diplomatic core. He has changed the rules of uh, our diplomacy uh, from the inside. He has displaced people. He has changed the whole curriculum. Uh, so they are a little bit traumatized. And when they hear <coughs> him speaking out of the blue, positions that were not even discussed between them before and trying to please the, the other person instead of building a strong policy, which he does consistently, consistently from the beginning. That's why we have a foreign policy that is so difficult nowadays in Africa and elsewhere. And that, that creates trouble. We have a diplomacy that needs time and quiet. And we have someone who is trying to do things brutally. All right. There are those trying to, 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 to make the pressure go down. And then there are those throwing fuel on the fire. The uh, European Union's executive arm has joined IBM saying it's halting advertisement on Elon Musk's social media platform, X, formerly Twitter. The last straw, Musk's seeming endorsement of a tweet from a far-right account claiming that members of the Jewish uh, community were stoking hatred against white people. Musk uh, responded below the tweet saying, you have said the truth. Uh, IBM putting out a statement saying it has zero tolerance for hate speech and uh, disinformation, uh, complaining uh, that uh, its uh, uh, advertisements were appearing next to uh, neo-Nazi posts on said social media site. This is not the first time that uh, there are things that have a whiff of anti-Semitism on Elon Musk's Twitter account. This has happened a few times over the last uh, year and a half or so since he took over X, as we now call it. And, um, you know, I, I think there there was a tendency for quite a while just to say, oh, well, that's Elon being Elon. He kind of jokes about everything. And um, But I think particularly at this moment in time, it's just something that people can't abide by. And I'm kind of surprised that it's only IBM, actually. I think that this kind of um, the White House, The White House has come out and, and yeah. with a very strong... The, the European Commission right. has said that they wouldn't publish any ads right. on the Twitter X. And, I, I, I would think that and this, many more Elon Musk is not just anybody. Yes, he owns that social media, but he also owns Starlink, which is so vital for exactly. uh, Ukraine and its war against Russia. And, he, and Israel, in yeah. fact. Um, and he had offered to um, basically deploy Starlinks about Gaza. Um, so uh, he is very critical in a number of um, different ways. SpaceX, rockets, um, you know, it's just uh, he has tremendous importance to the U.S. government. So when you have a f 
Friday panel of journalists sitting around the table, of course, like they did earlier, they talk about freedom of the press. Here in this case, freedom of the press is one thing, but in, this is not freedom of the press. This is not, free speech is different from hate speech. I think what Elon Musk doesn't understand and someone has to give him a 101 is what free <laughs> speech is because kind of what you've said in the past, what, a year, a year and a half that he has purchased Twitter. Um, he keeps, each time he makes someone that's absolutely a, a discriminatory talk or something that is completely a, a hate speech, he says, yes, but this is America. This is where the free speech happens and this is all about my first amendment to say whatever I want to say. You cannot censor me. He uses the word you know, of censorship. He doesn't understand that, but he's also a man who's a businessman, who's a billionaire. So there are people around him saying, hey, Elon, be careful, we're losing money. And actually, X is not doing very brilliantly well in terms of you know, monetary, budgetary, and it needs to Tesla's, Tesla's stock mm. was down a little bit, and now it's back up again this Friday. <laughs> yes, but still. <laughs> <laughs> meanwhile, TikTok says it's furiously expunging from its video sharing site content that promotes Osama bin Laden's mm. 2002 letter to America, mm. where the late al-Qaeda leader accused the U.S. of uh, financing oppression uh, for Palestinians. Uh, these young people on TikTok, their videos have gone viral, and they're playing catch-up. The letter uh, was first published on The Guardian yes. website. Mm -hmm. The Guardian did take it out, but... Then it created what we call the Streisand effect. Mm. If you try to censor something, it will reappear in a million copies. And that's what happened with this hate speech. Incredibly, TikTok, which is supposedly controlled by the Chinese state, is more civilized in this matter than X Twitter. So there's... Yeah, TikTok isn't defending... <laughs> Interestingly, if there are degrees mm. in the being uh, obnoxious, this is a degree that they have. Richard Verdi. Is Elon Musk a dangerous guy? for democracy, for information, I believe so. I believe mm. that and he has gone too absolutely, far. Absolutely. Yeah. He has gone too far. He is the owner of X. We are, maybe all of us, using X. Uh, but it's not because you drive a car that you are responsible for the behavior of the boss of the company. I mean, we all use X. X has its utility, but Elon Musk doesn't behave as a responsible owner and as a person Richard, who has this influence. How do you explain the fact that these young people take Osama bin Laden's speech without much context and seem to be praising it? Well, I'd like to know more about who those young kids are. You know, we, we all witness some kind of uh, stupidity, level of stupidity among our own youth. So I, I don't want to label, I don't want to say that those youths are, are completely insane. I think that the, the, the channel responsible, in this case TikTok, um, has the, the responsibility to cut it off. I mean, if you, if you put... Like now, if we decide here in France 24 to put on screen the letter of Ben Laden, millions of young people, and maybe not all young, will look at it and will probably decide to transfer it, to take a snapshot and to transfer it to another mobile phone. So the responsibility doesn't lie with users only, especially if they are young. Also with publishers. Definitely with publishers. Mm. Definitely. And first of all, with publishers. What this world certainly needs is a healthy dose of de-escalation. So even <laughs> if they didn't issue a joint statement, many found reason to at least exhale when Joe Biden sat down with Xi Jinping for four hours 
on the sidelines of the APEC summit in San Francisco, joint agreement on climate targets, reassurances on opening a hotline between the U.S. and China's military, all good. Of course, there was a press conference afterwards where reporters asked Biden if he stood by what he said in June, branding his Chinese counterpart a dictator. President, after today, would you still refer to President Xi as a dictator? This is a term uh, that you used earlier this year. Well, look, he is. I mean, he's a dictator in the sense that he, he is the guy who runs a country that is a communist country that based on a former government totally different than ours. Uh, it, that sounds like a qualified dictator, Vivian Walsh. <laughs> dictator's a dictator. It's a very big D word. And in fact, at the cameras yeah, turned around... Because it's communism. Yes, exactly, because it's not like us. <laughs> um, uh, but had the cameras turned around in the other direction, you would have seen Tony Blinken, Secretary of State, sort mm. of... There, 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 was, which you there, there, was yes, there was a camera focusing on him, right. and he did flinch. Um, I mean... You know, Biden, but is it a blunder? Is it a blunder on Biden's part? Yes, I would think so. I mean, much like President Macron, no, he I would vote from no. the hip. I would vote no on that. You would vote no. I don't you think, think it's a blind. No, I think he was perfectly right to say so. That is the plain truth. Oh, absolutely. Xi Jinping but is a dictator. I think, it, I, think I will speaking. be in the middle of you guys. And Macron, <laughs> and we are French. We are always in the middle of things these days. Uh, it's it's a blunder, but I think it will have no consequences whatsoever. Well, the thing is, it depends why you were, you know, the reason why this whole, you know, handshake and, and talk happened was in a way to smooth the corners. So it doesn't really serve the purpose of smoothing the corners between China and the US when you have one of the guys called the other one a dictator. In a way, it doesn't go with it. That's why Blinken, which was wonderful. I hope someone makes a gif out of this, you know, of where he looks and he says, oh, no, oh, no, he did not just say that. I loved these couple of days, the titles that the press have been given about this this, uh, this reunion between uh, Biden and Xi Jinping. Like the economist said, Joe Biden and Xi Jinping rediscovered the joy of talking. Good. And CNN says, takeaways from the Biden-Xi Jinping summit where low expectations were met. So it's all about, you know, saying we are not rivals, but we don't like or each other. Or we're desperate for, for a good news story, maybe. And, that, and also China needs it for its economy and their elections coming in the U.S. So we need to show that, you know, there are talks happening. Well, all right. And let's, sorry, let's not forget. I mean, she is going to be in power a lot longer than President Biden, even if he does win re-election. Life is next, full of surprises. Next year. Yeah, you never know. <laughs> you never know. Uh, everybody's been talking about season six of The Crown. Well, in real life across the channel, uh, there was a dramatic event with a big reveal. <laughs> Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome, especially a warm welcome to those for whom it's their first cabinet, and also a welcome to those for whom it may not be their first time. Uh, <laughs> lovely to have you. Lovely to have you all here. Not the first time, indeed. David Cameron becoming the first former UK Prime Minister in decades uh, to return to government. Well, I know it's not usual for a Prime Minister to come back in this way, but I believe in public service. The Prime Minister asked me to do this job, and it's a time where we have some daunting challenges as a country. 
Uh, isn't that the same David Cameron who was on the job when he decided to have some kind of a Brexit referendum? <laughs> <laughs> well, this is a rehabilitation that he probably never expected. Um, but, you know, you, we all know how things have turned out after Brexit in the UK. And now Sunak is desperate to give some sign of credibility. So he goes to Cameron. Now, is it a good choice? I doubt it. I don't know Cameron popularity rate in the UK, but... I don't see it's very high. Vivian Walt? I don't think it's so bad. Ah, okay. Um, I, I mean, clearly, David Cameron is trying to rewrite, you know, the first line of his obituary, but I'm not sure he's <laughs> going to do that. He will always be known as the guy that decided to have a Brexit referendum thinking that he'd win it, and he lost. Um, and so the country's history is rewritten. But... What did you think of that line, I believe in public service, that you just heard? Haven't we heard that before? It sounds like <laughs> That's such like a Ellen totally I believe in free speech. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing is that Cameron is also involved. There's an investigation going on right now in terms of law. Oh, sorry. Go on. I read your mind, François <laughs> Picard. But there's an uh, investigation uh, that's, uh, that's still ongoing in terms of a scandal and lobbying that he was not, you know, how much did he know? How much did he let it be? There is that. What I love about politics is is also this, is the fact that you can rise from your ashes. Like there's a magic, you know, really a hat. And there's a politician whom you thought was completely old story who comes back and who says, I'm here to serve the greater good and, and to be in public service. But how long will he really last? Because what he's being investigated for is the same thing that uh, Tony Blair has been yes. criticized for, which is uh, taking a lot of money from uh, for lobbying, particularly from Gulf states. Mm. Yes, exactly. We have a series of politicians that are concerned with those things. François Fillon in France, Gerhard Schröder in uh, Germany. Uh, these, uh, so coming back to politics after being out of it. That's the problem, because <laughs> you're out of politics, then the doors of money open. If they were not open previously, they open even more. And then you can pick up, cherry pick what basically what you want from, you know, companies that are always interested in having a, foreign, uh, a former fr prime minister on their board. But then you compromise yourself with these people and you serve private interests. That's why you insist so much on public service. That's, mm. you know, what we call élément de langage in French, that talking points. Like <laughs> as if it were a volunteering act, although you yes, paid I'm for it. You know, I will rise I to power I sacrifice myself serve. for this that's, power. That's Richard III. Yeah. All right, first trip... Richard III did first refuse. By the that's way, not the yeah. first trip abroad, not to the Middle East, to Ukraine. A reminder that David Cameron Brother. was in power a decade ago uh, when it all kicked off. He met with Volodymyr Zelensky uh, in the capital, he went to Odessa, and uh, yeah, ahead of what could be a, a long winter. Uh, that's actually an interesting choice, Vivian Walt. Bravo, I say. Um, you know, at least uh, one major Western figure, um, returned figure, is in Kiev. And, uh, you know, President Zelensky was fairly blunt, and I kind of, it was painful almost to look at him. And he said, you know, the, distract the distraction, the fact that the attention has turned away from us does not help. In fact, they're in terrible trouble. And um, Western leaders are utterly distracted. And they ought to quickly start focusing again on Ukraine.
Richard Verley. True, and um, and it's even more true because when when you listen some European leaders saying that there is a kind of fatigue about the Ukrainian war and now Europe being on two fronts, the Middle East and Ukraine, that's a, a blatant lie. There are no two fronts. European Union is in no position to achieve whatsoever in the Middle East. It will it will be there. It will serve humanitarian aid, assistance, but nobody expect the EU to broker any deal in the Middle East. The EU task is to be there in Ukraine. It's its geopolitical priority. And if the EU fail that, then problem will come for the future. Because we had uh, this week uh, uh, the uh, EU admitting that uh, it had only delivered one third of the ammunition uh, that it had promised uh, for, for, for uh, Ukraine. Again, it's, it, it's, uh, it, it could, it's going to be a long winter. It's going to be a long winter. On the communication front, what we see, what is preoccupying for me at least, is that Russia is winning the uh, communication war with the help of this, you know, Israeli uh, front that is opening. Because they are setting the words of the conflict through their influence, through the social networks. Nowadays, a lot of people are convinced there is a West, uh, which is corrupted. And the West is, you know, with Ukraine, with Israelis. And we are we on the... South, in the South, we are the good guys. And uh, this superimposition of a core belief that has been crafted by Russians is something preoccupying, and I think Zelensky understands this because he's a communication guy too. He understands that this communication battle is being lost for him for the moment. Well, in France, we say we don't have oil, but we have ideas. <laughs> we, also, we have Macron. We have Macron. We also we have, oil, we have, we also have uh, uh, a, a secret weapon for our soft power. I'm not sure uh, how effective it is. Beaujolais Nouveau hitting the palate uh, the world over. This is Japan. It's still big in Japan. Uh, the fruity flavored French wine, uh, which uh, is by law, opens uh, the third Thursday in November, uh, made from the same year's harvest, also sampled uh, here in, in the country where it was made. Uh, Midweek, revelers only too happy to opine on what's been the wide world's equivalent of Black Friday since 1951. This Beaujolais Nouveau is very fresh. It's really, really pleasant to drink. I don't know how many he had, uh, but we turn to uh, uh, World This Week, a wine critic and sommelier. Uh, You know too many things, too much, too much information, yes. (laughs) Beaujolais Nouveau, uh, it, it is marketing genius, but is it wine? I must say, for journalistic investigation, you know, uh, purposes, and since yesterday was a, the third Thursday of November, I had to try it, of course. <laughs> uh, like Cameron, I sacrificed myself for the public good. Uh, and it was truly, um, I must say, a sacrifice, because the headache was horrible today. <laughs> was this um, after one glass? <laughs> and I turned uh, two bottles. Um, <laughs> two but, bottles? But... but um, <laughs> I must say, uh, I must say that I say kudos to only the French can do can do this in terms of making an, an a marketing art out of a wine that's really <coughs> not that marketable. But like you said, huge in other countries like in Japan. I mean, they wait for this wine for a long time. That's because the the brand uh, is good. You know, it's a French brand. It's always chic from outside. Uh, of France. So you're French bashing all the time, but here you go. Yeah, no, no, no. The, the wine is ma- this wine is made of a wine yeast that is, you know, famous for its uh, 
speed. It, it goes very. F this yeast has been selected to be quick. We want the wine to be mm. quickly uh, up to to be a wine, and that produces a very bad wine, very bad wine with you know artificial flavors. Exactly yeah, it like, feels like it's made grapes. in the lab. It could know. be American, Francois. It could be American. It could be <laughs> yeah, American. America has some great wine in California and Napa Valley. No, no, it could this, be American you know? in yeah. a way that it's industrialized. In a we way. haven't even yeah. discussed yet Swiss wine. But uh, well, we don't have Beaujolais Nouveau in Switzerland, though we have very good wine. As far as I'm concerned, if it is selling well, well, be it. That's the, that's yeah, the Swiss the... wine for you. That's the Swiss <laughs> wine for you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the wine industry, obviously, is like having a hard time. There's climate change, there's great wine being made now in, in of all places, England. Mm. Um, and so whatever they can do to keep Beaujolais Nouveau still a marketable product, all power to them. All right, and an excuse for drinking in the, on a Thursday. Uh, Vivian <laughs> Walt, I want to thank you so much for joining us. I want to thank uh, Philippe Moreau-Chevrolet, Aisha Gould, Sir Trichard Verli. Thank you for being with us here in The World This Week. The World This Week to be consumed with moderation. <laughs> <laughs>